0: Well, listen, uh, we're, in a, we're in a series going through the book of First Corinthians together. And um, I didn't plan this. I really didn't. But it's kind of fitting that we're heading into Valentine's week. And we are in chapter 13, which is also known as the love chapter. Um, and I, literally, I didn't plan it this way. I couldn't have planned it even if I tried. Most of you, if you are kind of new to Christianity, have probably heard... the the love chapter read before. If you've been to a wedding, like at every wedding, uh, people love them, the love chapter, at weddings. Non-Christian, Christian Christian alike. um, We we usually read it a lot like like a love poem. I need your help, Zach. Um, We usually read it a lot like a love poem. However, what I love about going through a book of the Bible is that we realize that we read Scripture in its context, which means that chapter 13, the love chapter, is not a standalone chapter. It's not like it's just like uh, devoid of all the other chapters that Paul has been writing to the Corinthian church. It's not like he all of a sudden decided, hey, let me write a love poem. Just want to write a love poem, just in the middle of everything, or hey, I want to give you some marriage advice that you can read at your weddings. This is so key for us to understand that the love chapter, chapter 13, is actually a continuation of the same topic that Paul introduced just two weeks ago when we started chapter 12. Um, And he starts talking about, in chapter 12, spirit stuff. The stuff, the things that this Holy Spirit is up to in your life and in the church, in the life of the church, in the life of believers, and and what that looks like. In fact, um, he's actually going to be giving us, through this chapter, Um, a teaching about how the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, love, love, all of those things fit together and are meant to, to operate together. In fact, if the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit are not in operation together, it not only discredits the Christian, it discredits the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. And Paul, I mean, um, why don't you stand with me? We're gonna we're gonna get into chapter thirteen, and but before we start reading, I just want you to understand that I know I say this often, but, but 1 Corinthians is kind of like a it's a serious like letter. Um, buckle up because at, what we usually read as a love poem at weddings is actually a bit of a gut punch to the Corinthian church. Um, it's set in love, obviously, but. Uh, especially the first three verses, are like, man, he just kind of hits it to them. Um, and and the culture of the church, he's not talking about the world, he's talking about the church. And uh, we're actually going to begin reading at the last verse of the previous chapter. So it's actually going to start reading in, in chapter 12, verse 31, because I actually think that when they were dividing up the chapters and verses way, way, way back then, they actually um, kind of put a division in where it probably should have been A little bit before that um, because I think chapter 12 verse 31 leads us perfectly into what he's going to talk about in chapter 13. So we're going to read chapter 12 verse 31. We'll start there. It says this, now eagerly desire the greater gifts and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gifts of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body to hardship that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love's kind. It does not envy. doesn't boast. It's not proud. does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain: faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Lord, I pray that as we, um, as we kind of like dissect and go through this non poem poem, um, and really take in in context what Paul is teaching, I pray that we would we would grow. Uh, deeper in love with you and with people, help us to uh, to lead with love. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, um, he starts out in verse thirty-one, and he says, "I'm just going to like walk through this in two different parts." The first thing he says is, "Now, eagerly desire spiritual gifts." In other words, he's like, first all the stuff we've been talking about, all through chapter 12, we talk about the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, like you know, prophecy and words of knowledge and words of wisdom and tongues and interpretation of tongues and preaching, all of those things. He's like, he's like all of the eagerly desire the greater gifts, these charismatic gifts that we just outlined in chapter 12. And then he immediately follows up with an interesting statement. He says this in verse 31, yet I will show you, the most excellent way. Now, this lead in to the love chapter is so important for us to understand because Paul is actually answering a question. Um, a question that every single one of us wonders when it comes to spiritual gifts. And the question is this How do I get one? Have you ever wondered that? I do. How do I get a spiritual gift? Like, the Bible says, like, i oh, eagerly desire them. And it's like, okay, I do. I eagerly desire them. Maybe one, if not more, two. I'll take three, right? Like, I, I want it. I want it. Okay, oh, you know, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do, though. Like, how do I get a spiritual gift? And so many times, pastors, people like me, they're like, yeah, you should be eagerly desiring them. And you're like, I got it. I'm eagerly desiring look at me. You know what I mean? I want it. I've don't. i I've never gotten it, though. You know, people are like, I kind of want tongues. I, it kind of freaks me out, but I kind of don't. I don't know, but I, I think I'm eagerly desiring it, but the Lord's never given it to me. So, like, what am I supposed to do? How do we get spiritual gifts? And I, I, I often wonder, like, is there, like, a special prayer that I'm supposed to pray? Like, is there, a, should I, like, Should I, like, uh, squint my eyes more when I pray? Because it means, like, I'm really, really, really serious. Like, should I ask somebody who has that gift to pray over me? Because does it work that way? Like, you can, like, give a gift to somebody else, like, pass it on. Like, (laughs) is it like a white elephant gift? You know, how does this thing work? And here's my point. I'm not saying that any of those things don't work. There is power in the laying on of hands the receiving of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is biblical. I've experienced it in my own life when brothers and sisters in Christ have laid hands on me and prayed. I have received an empowerment of the Holy Spirit that I can't explain, that I didn't have to squint to get. Like there's something that happens when the body of Christ prays and lays hands on each other. I've, I've watched people pray and receive gifts of the Holy Spirit. Like, so I'm not saying that, that none of those things work. There are many different methods when people receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. If we actually asked all of you and like had time to go through each person, you probably have very different stories. Some of you be like, oh wow, I had this, this, you know, man came up and I prayed over me and then I received a gift of the Holy Spirit or the infilling Holy Spirit. Or maybe it happened to you. You just woke up one morning and you're reading your Bible and all of a sudden God just downloaded something in you. Like, it, we have very different stories when it comes to the, the Holy Spirit and the, a lot of different manners through which the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit work. But Paul is saying, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. And he simply calls that way the way of love. Now, I want to remind you what we talked about two weeks ago about the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts. We, I gave you a simple definition of it, and it was this. Spiritual gifts are simply the continuation of the ministry that Jesus began in the earth. What we mean by that is that, like, okay, Jesus operated in these spiritual gifts, right? Healing, miracles, faith, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, like all of these, you know, these spiritual gifts he was operating in throughout his ministry, throughout his life. And when he ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came and endued his body of Christ with these spiritual gifts to be used in the continuation to bring to heal blind eyes, to bring freedom to the captives, to, to literally just continue that, that same ministry as the body of Christ in the world. And if that's, if that's true, if that's true, then I think it's important, I think it's significant for us to take a look at the life of Jesus. I actually think it's really important for us to look at the ministry of Jesus um, when, when it comes to the spiritual gifts and how the Holy Spirit worked in and through his ministry. Because there's something that's really curious That I've talked about before, but I really want to hit on today that I believe that Paul could be highlighting when he talks about 1 Corinthians 13 and the love chapter. Um, So many times in Jesus's ministry, and you can read it for yourself afterwards, but these words, moved with compassion or filled with compassion, precede the working and movement of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. You can literally read through You like read through your Bible and all of a sudden it says like, Jesus moved with compassion. I'll say it. Moved with compassion, healed the sick and diseased. Jesus moved with compassion, touched blind eyes, and they were opened. Jesus moved with compassion, fed the 4,000. You can look it up. Jesus, moved with compassion, freed those who were oppressed by the devil. Like, so many times, time and time and time and time again, we see these words. Jesus moved with compassion, and then the Holy Spirit would move and do some mighty, miraculous work in and through Jesus. And if we're not careful... When we read the Bible, we can be captivated by all of the miracles and the healings and the deliverances and the giftings of the Holy Spirit working through the life of Christ and miss the driver behind it. We can be like, "Oh yeah, remember when he fed the four thousand. oh man, remember when he like he like he cast that kid that was like throwing himself in the fire and like freedom from from that demon. remember when he he healed the blind eyes of the again with the crippled head like we can get all inebriated by all the miracles and the faith and the movements of the Holy Spirit and miss the driver that was behind the very thing that Jesus went to go do. It was compassion it was The love of God that moved Jesus. And I would argue that the miracles and the healings and the great displays of God's power were simply outward manifestations of God's compassion, God's love for people. Because compassion is why God sent his son in the first place. Don't forget it. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. It was God's compassion for you and for people just like you that he sent his one and only son to save you. Compassion is ultimately why Jesus did what he did and what drove him to the cross. It was the love of God. In fact, even as he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It was this driving compassion that led Jesus to go heal the sick and set the captives free. And and as Christians, as spirit-filled Christians, I just want to remind you that Jesus asks us to live for what he died for, the most excellent way. And this is what Paul's bringing up. Um, Being moved with compassion, let's say it in a different way, being moved with compassion is the pathway to the gifts and the power of the Spirit. So if you're like, man, I just want, I want, I want this gift. I want God to work in me. I'm open. I'm eagerly desiring. I want this thing. I was kind of hoping maybe somebody would pray this for me or I would pray it in or something like that. Um, If you're looking for God to, to work in a greater measure through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, realize that love releases the power of the Spirit through his church. And so when we are led by compassion, when we ask him to fill us with the fruit of the Spirit, all of a sudden now it puts a draw on the gifts of the Spirit in and through our life. It just happens this way because love empowers all that it touches. We see it in the life of Christ. We see it in our own lives. Like when God draws us to go do things or to give something or to ask to pray for someone that we normally wouldn't do, we are led by compassion and it puts a draw on the Holy Spirit to to all of a sudden now, Gifts of prophecy and gifts of healing. What, like all of a sudden we just say, I, I just feel God's compassion for you. Could, could I pray for you? And all of a sudden, oh, healing came. Miracles came. Now I wasn't sitting there like, I just want gift. I want a gift of healing. I want a gift of miracles, darn it. Everybody else has it and I don't have one. No, get a heart for people and ask how you can help. And all of a sudden realize that that is the very heart of God. On the inside of you, that he is breaking your heart for the things that break his. And just know that the gifts will follow. When you get a heart for the things that are a that are heart of God, all of a sudden you realize, like, oh, that's how this works. And this is what Paul is drilling into the Corinthians because they kind of got a little bit off kilter. They were all thinking, like, oh, yeah, I have tongues, I have prophecy, I have this, I have that thinking that they somehow brought value to them, not realizing that they were treating each other horribly in the midst of it. Because if, we, if, we're not, if we're not thinking about this and operating in this, we run the risk of allowing our gifts to take us to a place that our character cannot sustain us. Because we're operating in the gifts and failing to, failing to allow God to work the fruit down in through us. And Paul drills down on this. He um, into this idea. And, and I just want to warn you, he makes some dramatic statements, really intense statements. These are kind of like, I mean, it's like a one, two, three punch to the Corinthian church. Um, so I'm going to strip away the poetic reading of this and really get down to like what he's saying to them. So let's just read it without the poetry and without, we're not in a wedding right now, so we don't need to be all like, oh I know I'm going to ruin First Corinthians 13 for you. And you're like, next that from our wedding. You know what I mean? Like, we're not going to do that, but this is what he says. He's speaking to Corinthians, verse one, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, you can have all the speaking gifts. You can have prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. You can even speak in tongues. You can have interpretation of tongues. But if you're doing it without love, He says, catch this, he says, you, not your words, you are a resounding gong, (laughs) bong, or a clanging cymbal. That, yeah, just make a noise, which means that, that you could be speaking the right words in the wrong spirit. I mean, you could even be working in the gifts of the spirit without the fruit of the spirit And what ends up happening when we do that is that we end up discrediting the gift of God because it's not done in the right heart. And and, and we've watched the church, and this is what, honestly, one of my greatest passions as a pastor is that we would marry those two things, that we would be unwilling to allow the gifts of the Spirit to be unmeasured without the fruit of the Spirit together. Because when we only operate in the gifts of the Spirit and we fail to look at the fruit of the Spirit and allow the fruit of the Spirit to be the driver behind it, then we get flash in the pan revivals that don't last but two days. And we have people that start to act horribly and badly towards each other, but they're operating in the gifts and impressing people. And this is what Paul is coming against. This is what he's going after. He's like essentially reminding them, um, and just to give you a little context, in Corinth, they had all these pagan temples, and we talked about this in the past. And so when the, uh, the worshipers would come up to the pagan temples, uh, it was customary for one of the priests, their job was to like stand by a big gong and just go, boom bong. And so as, as they were coming in, like what, what's the reason of this? Great question. Scholars believe there were two reasons. One was um, that possibly it was to get the attention of the gods because maybe they were sleeping, right? Like you they say, hey, like, wake up, bong. We got somebody coming in. You know, you might want to pay attention. Look alive here. Uh, you know, they're coming in to worship at this pagan temple. And the, the second reason is because it was awe-inspiring to the worshipers so in reality, it's just a bunch of noise. It's a distraction um, attempting to get an idol's attention and to impress people. And Paul's reminded of the Corinthian church. He's like, spiritual gifts without love are just a distraction. An annoying noise, full of sound, but doing nothing. Impressive to people, but lacking the power. This... It, this is where he just drills down in. And, and just when you think, uh, I don't know if I like where you're going here, Pastor Justin. You should really just <laughs> stay in your lane. You know, like you got gifts are one thing, loves another. That's cool. I'm gifted. I don't, you don't, you kind of, you're on my toe here. Like get off. Paul doubles down on it. And he says something even more ridiculous. He says this in verse two. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom All mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but don't have love. I am nothing. I mean, let's be honest, he's literally painting a picture of a ridiculously gifted person. I mean, this person uh, is the gift of prophecy. They, they know all mysteries, all knowledge. They have faith that can literally move mountains. And he's like, if I don't have love, um, I am nothing. In other words, the gifts that I thought gave me value do not add any value to me. That's what he's saying. In fact, without this key element that sometimes we can forget called love, those things that I thought gave me value actually cheapen me. Because ministry without love is cheap. It's cheap. Operating in the gifts of the Spirit outside of the fruit of the Spirit cheapens both the minister and the ministry as a whole. So please understand this. When we're talking about love and Paul's kind of making a, like, some, some cheap shots here, he's, like, he's coming at them, um, please understand this. He is not minimizing the gifts of the Spirit He's not saying, see guys, look, you should just focus on love and social justice and like, don't worry about these gifts. You're really off kilter here. He's not saying like, prophecy really doesn't matter and don't, don't eagerly desire tongues and, and stay away from words of knowledge. It just kind of gets messy. He's not saying any of that stuff. In fact, he's like saying those things are wonderful. They are beautiful. They are useful. They are miraculous. But Paul is making a dramatic contrast here to bring one thing into view and it is this. Look how important love is to God. Look how important it is to him and allow him to lead you in it. Allow the Holy Spirit to move you, to be moved with compassion. Allow that to be the driver as you eagerly desire God to use you rather than the other way around. Because even, even though the world will try to convince you otherwise, you are, church, you are not the accumulation of your giftings. You're not the accumulation of your talents. You're not the accumulation of your passions. You're not, you, have, you have a greater value in that. So as you desire to be used by God, let me remind you, as Paul would, follow the most excellent way love. And just when you think he couldn't get any more dramatic. Just when you think, he, 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 yeah, surely Pastor Justin's like a little off on this. He writes something even more extreme in verse 3. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, he's like, if I gave everything I own to the poor, I mean, I, I, I mean, the socks I'm wearing, I gave it to the poor. I mean, this is incredibly radical and selfless stuff that he's talking about. Even if I do all of these things, but if I don't have love, then I gain nothing. And Paul is saying, please don't miss this. It is possible to participate in spirit stuff with selfish motivations. Isn't it? It's possible to operate in spirit stuff with selfish motivations. And generosity without love is of no value eternally. And and that's the key, eternally. Because generosity without love, I mean, has temporary value. In, 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 In our day and age where the churches can be very focused on social justice in and of itself, realize this social justice for the sake of social justice carries with it its own rewards sometimes the reward of social justice for the sake of social justice is maybe maybe i just feel good about myself you see what i did see what i gave see what i built see what i spent my money on see what i invested in maybe social justice for the sake of social justice is getting your name on a building or an applause from a crowd The reality is that selfless acts can still have selfish motivations. And this is what Paul is like drilling down on. And then he kicks it up a notch and he says, not only if you give all your possessions to the poor, you could strip down to nothing and give everything away. He says, but even if I give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I've gained nothing. The New King James Version says it this way. Even if I give my body to be burned, I mean, that is intense, right? That's like, even if I willingly give my life to be burned a horrible death as a martyr, but I have not love, um, I have nothing. That's extreme. Let me bring it a a bit down to you and maybe say it in a different way. Jesus said, you can say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, did we, we drive out demons? In your name, perform many miracles? And he can still say, I never knew you. I mean, that is one of the most sobering, sobering, like, scriptures for me in the Bible. In other words, church, you can be burned out for Jesus and not impress him in the least. So, the question... That this begs, at least for me, is how in the world do I know if I'm doing this without love? I don't know about you. Like, maybe you operate in different spiritual gifts, or God has given you gifts and talents and things like that. How do I know? How do I know if I'm doing this in love or if I'm not doing this in love? It's a great question. and Here's the answer. Sometimes you don't know. Which is why when we talk about that we're wanting to become a church like family, why it's so important. Because one thing about family is this, family is more impressed with your love than anything else. Let me break it down for you and kind of show you what I mean. Your coworkers may be really impressed with your talent. Your boss may be really impressed with your work ethic. Your neighbors might be really impressed with your hospitality. Your friends might be really impressed with your generosity. Like the crowds may be really impressed with your giftings. But it is family that is most impressed with your love. And they know when they don't have it. And this is why, I'm kind of an unabashed plug, but this is why we even do things like life groups. Because it's like, We need to be surrounding ourselves with authentic Christian relationships because sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we have blind spots in our own hearts and lives that we're operating in a gift, not realizing that we are not being loving. (laughs) And family is the best place to tell you because how many of you know your family knows you best? Because they get the ugly parts of you, they get the good parts of you, they see you very clearly. Your co-workers, your boss see you one thing and then you come home and your family gets to know you who you really are and you need family around you to strengthen you, to care for you, to stretch you, to be wise counsel for you, to help you with your, you know, with, with your blind spots and to call you out on your junk if you need to be. To say, hey, what the heck was that all about? I mean, you said the right words, but man was so not loving. Sometimes family is the only one that can answer that question for us. Because iron sharpens iron. And Paul talks even more about love, and he uses this word agape. There's a lot of different words in the Bible for love. And um, it's not eros love, which is like romantic love. It's not phylos love, which is like brotherly love. He literally uses this word agape. The word agape means um, unconditional God love kind of a good definition of it is this, um, love that gives and expects nothing in return. And Paul describes it rather than defines it, and he does it in 15 different ways. So if you're like, I don't really know what he's talking about, let, let him tell you. He describes what this love looks like 15 ways in five verses. Let me read it for you. First Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4, he says, you want to know what love is? You want to know what it looks like? Love. Love is patient. love is kind, it doesn't envy, it's not jealous, it doesn't boast, doesn't need people to think that it's bigger than it is, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others in order to make them look a little bit better, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, covers, rather than exposes. It always trusts, it always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. The Apostle John um, gives a definition of love in 1 John 4, verse 10. It says this, he says, this is love, not that we loved God. I love the fact that as he's talking about agape love, he's trying to bring a definition of what love is. And he tells us by telling us what it's not. He's like, I'll tell you what it's not. It's, it's not you. It's not your love. It's, it's not that you're the originator of this love. It's actually not about you. It's not from you. It's not, it's not that you loved God. And he says this, Keep reading. He says, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, love is not something that you have. Love is something that has you. And it's not anything that you even deserve or earned. God first loved you and his love for you is the only way that you understand this, this, what love is, what agape love is. And so love isn't what you do, it's what keeps you going. The Bible says that it's his loving kindness that draws you to repentance. It is his love that drew you. It's his love that saves you. It's his love, church, that is supposed to sustain you. And, and once, we stop, once we start forgetting about that, we think like, oh, yeah, God loved me. And, you know, back when I was in, you know, second grade, I gave my life to the Lord at Vacation Bible School, and his love just overwhelmed me. And then I just started doing it. I get, became a really good church person, and I kept doing all these good things. And, I, and I'm trying to please God. I'm trying to not make him angry, and I'm trying to honor him, and I'm trying to serve him, and I'm trying to do all these things for him. Let me just tell you, that same love that saved you is the same love that is supposed to be sustaining you, leading you guiding you, driving you, empowering you. And when we don't do that, let me just show you. Paul writes in Galatians 6, 9, he says, let us not become weary in doing good. Why would he write that? Because we become weary in doing good. Doing good stinks sometimes. Like, doing good can be exhausting. Anybody else get exhausted sometimes just like trying to be a good person? Like, just not swear, just try to be good, just try to treat people right when they cut you off? Like, does anybody else just get to this place where it's like, I am exhausted? You're just like, I don't think this Christian thing is working out. I've been coming for like a month and I'm like, I'm, it is not, it's not catching or something. I don't know. Maybe it's catching for these people. It seems to be working for them. It's not working for me. I still go through issues. I feel depressed at times. I'm not perfect, and I mess things up. I don't think this Christian thing's working for me. It's hard. It is exhausting being good. And Paul says, like, don't become weary in doing good because, this is his point, once we stop leaning into God's love, everything will feel forced everything just dragging yourself to church you're like bless god you're welcome pastor justin you don't realize what i had to go through i went through hell to get here right and my kids this is the once right this is what i had to walk through to get here you're lucky they're here too in one piece right We get to this place where when we are not leaning into not just this saving love, but this sustaining love, then we just end up doing things for God. We're just serving, we're showing up, we're trying to do the right things and not do the bad things, and yet we're not being led by, we're not being moved by, and we're not being empowered by this love that that God's like, look, I don't expect you to, to be able to do this on your own. In fact, this isn't the kind of love that you have. You only have it because of what I'm putting in you. So why in the world would you think that you could just try to do this on your own? Because you actually really stink at it. You, you better be re, you better receiving this infilling because if you don't get it, you can't give it. And this is what Paul is reminding the, the Corinthian church. He's like, when, when love is something that you are just trying to conjure up and white knuckle your way through life, you will quickly become exhausted in doing good. You're not equipped for this. And if you if you've ever never experienced this, just take my word for it. <laughs> I've been doing this long enough. I want to remind you that Jesus was not led by doing good things. He was led by compassion. One of those will exhaust you, the other will revive you. Don't miss it. Don't miss what he's doing. Love is and always has been the thing that we need, must be receiving freely so that we can freely give it away. Amen? Follow the most excellent way. Why don't you stand with me? So, when my kids were little, they're leaving now. When my kids were little, um, <laughs> I'll wait till they leave fully. Uh, When my kids were little, um, if you've had kids before, you you understand this, especially when they're little. There is inevitably a time where your child will hurt another child, either physically, emotionally, or otherwise, and and you are in this really awkward place of saying, sweet child of mine, um, say sorry to this person who you hurt. They're bleeding, either emotionally or physically and um, they're hurting you made them cry whatever you you hurt them please say sorry and and then you have your kid i know your kids awesome but they say sorry and you know they didn't mean it in fact you know they like there's no love in it they didn't even try you know like sometimes you're just like just try to sell it to me you know what i mean like i'd be I'd be happy, I'd be happy if you just kind of convinced me. Maybe you don't even have to convince this poor kid that you beat over the head with a hammer. Maybe you could just say sorry in such a way that I'd be like, there's my kid. You're, you are redeemable, you know what I mean? Like, you're not incorrigible. There's, there's this reality. Now, here's the, here's, the, here's the thing. The last thing that I want as a father, and I'm sure the last thing that you want as a parent, is to just um, create really good child actor that can say, I'm sorry in such a way that they're like, I'm so sorry, you know, and you're like, that was awesome. We've been working on that. She's, she's going to go far. You know what I mean? Like the last thing you want is to just get your kids to be able to say things, the right words, but really the wrong spirit. And almost, and it's hard as parents because it's like we don't, they don't come with instruction books, right? And we don't know what we're doing. I, I'm, I'm a dad. I've never been a dad before. I don't know how the heck to get them to do the thing that I want them to do and mean it just want them to do it and just do it and mean it. So here's what I do know. I know that I met Jesus. And I know that his outlandish, ridiculous, crazy love for me changed my life. I know that that love changed my heart for people. I didn't like people until Jesus just literally just changed my heart. Like gave me a love that isn't mine for people. And if that's true, then rather than spankings and guilt trips, which I tried, um, I just decided, you know, I'm going to try to model for my kids what I want them to be able to give to others. And so I started doing something that um, really didn't come naturally to me, and I don't think it comes naturally to to most parents, is that I started just apologizing to them when I freaked out. And, and, And sometimes they deserved it they deserve to, to get freaked out on because they're freaks, right? Like, you, you, you've got kids, you understand. Like, they're just, what, what, what are you? Are you an animal? Like, you, what in the world's going on here? Like, and so you freak out. Like, you, you just automatically have this reaction of like, oh my gosh, like, I failed as a parent. You know what I mean? Like, I have no idea what's going on here. And then it comes out a little bit sideways. And here's my point. Um, I, would, I would just decide, not in the moment, of course, because in the moment I felt fully justified to give them the freak out. In fact, I felt like I was holding back. Um, I would come up to them, to the room that I sent them to, um, and I would be like, hey, I'm oh, so, so sorry. I'm really sorry for my reaction. Like, I know what you did, and, and that's, I get that, but I'm sorry for how I reacted to you. And I'll just tell you, that simple thing, you watch a kid's face change when an adult does that, because adults don't do that. I don't know if you knew this. We we feel like we don't need to apologize to kids. We were just like well, we might apologize to adults because they kind of hold some power over us and things like that. But like kids, we like I'll tell you, it it changes the way they uh, start to understand things. And and at first they were like, oh that's okay, dad. And I'd be like, no, it's not okay actually. I would correct them. They'd be like, oh okay. Um, more confusion. I'd be like, no, but I'm asking for your forgiveness. So if you'd like to forgive me, I would love that. My point is this. like, What if the church tapped into God's love for people through the love that he showed us? We started paying forward that love that, that we are so graciously, undeservedly, over-the-top, outlandishly loved by God... And just decided, I'm going to start trying to be led by that to love people who God loves. Have compassion for people who don't deserve it. Oh, wait, I, I don't either. And I don't either. That kind of love will change not just a face, but a life and a culture. And I think our culture is desperately wanting something different. If the church was weirder, I think we would stand out and not in a bad way, in a really good way. I think it would be like, what in the world is going on there? There is something right about that that I'm drawn to. I want something that you have. One of my greatest fears as your pastor is that we would get really good at church. I mean it. My greatest fear is that we would get really good at this thing lights, guitars, speaking, building, like that we get really good at doing church and forget to be the church and forget that Christ didn't die for this. He died for you and you and you and you and brought us into this crazy misfit family. I mean, come on. With people who... We have nothing in common with apart from the fact that every single one of us came into the kingdom the exact same way, that none of us were good enough, none of us deserved it, all of us just came and were drawn by this loving kindness that was like, if this is true, I think I want it. Like if I can have a relationship with the creator of the universe, okay, what do I, what do, I do? I want to be a part of something like, like that. And it's that same love That saved us. It's the same love that sustains us. It's the same love that causes us to be weird and to pay it forward to people who don't deserve it. Like us. Romans chapter 5 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might, might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Amen? Can I just tell you, church, love has a name. His name is Jesus. And it was out of that compassion that God has for his people that he sent his one and only son to die an undeserved criminal's death for you. That you are not saved because what you've done. You are not saved because of all the things that you do, but because of the love of God that, that you've received through Jesus Christ. And that love doesn't just save us. That love is the thing that keeps our engine going, church. It is the power behind the spirit stuff. And so in all of our eagerly desiring of the things of the spirit, may we not get off course and just run after those gifts Failing to realize and back the trap up and realize, Lord, I want to be led by your compassion. Give me a heart for people. Break my heart for the things that break yours. Literally start working the fruit of the Spirit in me so that as I walk out and I see someone that needs help and I offer to pray, ooh, healing came. What in the world? Someone needed that just needs the word of encouragement and all of a sudden your mouth opens and prophecy comes out what in the world's going on here? <laughs> you see somebody in the grocery store and you just feel led because God just put, put them on your heart for some reason. and You just have a word of encouragement. It's a word of knowledge comes out of your mouth. You're <laughs> like, I didn't think I was charismatic. Wow. But if we are led in the same way that Jesus was led, we will find that the gifts will follow. Jesus, or Paul says, follow the most excellent way. So if you today are burned out, worn out, tired out, I want to encourage you to make a comeback. I want to encourage you to recover your life, to revive your soul, to reclaim God's love this morning, to, re- to rest in his grace. I love the way that Eugene Peterson writes this in Matthew 11:28. 28. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And it doesn't mean laying down and doing nothing. He says, walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So maybe today as we enter in this last song, you just come to a place, but this is your first time here and you're like, I don't know what any of this means. I, I just know that I desperately want that. I don't know how to get it. Or you're a Christian and you are worn out, tired out, weary from doing good and need to just get a fresh and filling of that love, I just encourage you, just maybe hold your hands out to the side and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm ready and open to receiving you fresh today. And I want to encourage you. I wrote something down. I wonder if you would just declare this with me. I am not my own savior. Say it with me. I'm not saved because I'm good enough. I'm saved because God first loved me. Jesus, you are my Savior. I repent for my sin, for going my own way and keeping you at arm's length. And I receive your agape love right now. Change me from the inside out, out. Amen. amen. Let's worship together.